Hi, I'm a helpful Southern California Honda person. And recently, we've been doing random acts of helpfulness, like getting a service dog for a child in need and buying science materials for a third grade class. And we can help you too with a great deal on an award-winning Honda, like the reliable and completely redesigned Accord, the 2018 North American Car of the Year. Click the dealer locator link to find a dealer near you and go to SoCalHondaDealers.com to suggest a random act of helpfulness for someone you know. Blog Talk Radio. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Born to Talk radio show. I'm your host, Marsha Witeka, and I want to thank you for joining me today. My show is about the three C's. What that means to me is conversations plus connections equals community. And I've spent my whole life living this way, and now I get to share those words and their meaning of what that means to me with all of you. Today, my guest is author and Air Force officer, Cody Smith. Welcome to the show, Cody. Thank you, Marsha. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Oh, I'm, I'm just delighted to have a fellow Toastmaster joining me, and I want to thank you for your service and to all the men and women that have served our country, including my dad that served in World War II. We remember you on this Memorial Day. Now, when I meet people, I'm also interested to know, what's your story? You have a great story to tell, Cody. You and I met at a Toastmasters speech contest a couple of months ago. I am also a Toastmaster member of Speakers by the Sea. Uh, what is the name of your club? We're actually LL, Air LA. And that's is Air LA because I believe, do you meet at the Air Force Base? I mean, at the Air Force? That is um, absolutely correct. Office? Yes. Well, our correct. show, well, you know, I, I liked you the moment you started speaking at that speech. I, I just thought, oh, I, I got to know more about this guy. And, and our show today is really all about public speaking and the book that you authored. And I wanted to just let our listeners know just a teeny bit about Stage Fight, how to punch. I love that. How to punch your fears of public speaking in the face. You care about helping others break free from their fear because you used to be in their shoes. You ran away from opportunities and connections that would have benefited you in an effort to avoid ever having to speak publicly. During a trip abroad, you finally faced that fear and learned to live confidently. I can't wait to hear about more about those experiences, Cody. But first, this is your opportunity to let our listeners know a little bit about yourself. Can you tell me where you're from and all of that good stuff about your background? Sure, absolutely. I actually grew up in a very small town in Mississippi. I have five brothers, uh, so a pretty big family, and uh, ended up going to college at Mississippi State University, got a degree in electrical engineering, and then eventually joined the Air Force right after graduating. And that's what actually brought us out here to Los Angeles. This is my first duty station out here working at LA Air Force Base. No kidding. Do you know, I, I, when I ask these questions, Cody, I rarely know the answers to these questions that I ask my guests because, frankly, I just don't want to know the answers ahead of time. And what I didn't know about you is that you're an EE. My husband was also an EE, and um, he came to California via Detroit for, for jobs. 
when you left Mississippi um, with your degree as an EE, were you already in the Air Force at that point? That point? I, I was. I was. So I actually joined in the middle of college uh, through a special program mm-hmm. called a technical degree sponsorship program. So that you know flowed really well with my electrical engineering background. And so as soon as I graduated, you know, I would. I was shipped off to officer training school in Maxwell Air Force Base in Montgomery, Alabama. And then we were there for about nine and a half weeks. And as soon as we were done, they said, get your butt to California. And so that's what I did. I drove a U-Haul with me and my wife. And we uh, traveled across the country to get over here to the West Coast. Wow. Had you ever been here prior to that? No, no. The farthest I've ever been is probably Colorado. So never this far. Uh, this far west. So, what was what was your reaction when you realized that you were really by the Pacific Ocean? Was that was that a great moment, or was that a how did that feel to you? Okay, so initially getting in, I was I, I we had, we had heard about the level of traffic and people in Los Angeles, so that even even knowing that ahead of time. Uh, did not prepare us for coming from a small town in Mississippi <laughs> out here to Los Angeles. Uh, so we were not prepared for the, the level of traffic and just how many people are located out here. Uh, but I'll tell you what, the weather out here is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. It's very humid and hot in Mississippi. So to come out here where it's it's mainly very cool and you always got a breeze, uh, it's delightful. It's wonderful. It's, that's so funny because that's precisely – why my husband left Detroit. So he told his mother he loved her, but he didn't want to scrape windows and wanted to see the ocean and bought himself a, an MGC convertible, got, a, got himself a U-Haul, and out he came for that same reason. And the first Thanksgiving that he was in, in Southern California here, he just could not believe that he was driving with his top down looking at the ocean. So I know weather, it's true though, right? You can relate. Weather, really. Absolutely. You, it's, it's, we do have to deal with the traffic. And for those of us that have always lived here, we've certainly seen an increase. But it's just kind of like when people say, do you always hear those airplanes? Well, of course I do. I live three miles from the airport. I'm gonna, I've heard them my whole <laughs> life. I don't even hear them. It's just kind of funny. You hear them where you work. But um, anyway, That's right. I do want I do want to to thank you um, for your military, and I know that Memorial Day, did you have military family members before you joined? I did. We actually, uh, three generations of Army, and then my father said, uh, if you go military, don't go Army, go Air Force. (laughs) So me and my older brother and my adopted brother are all Air Force uh, members, and so it's, it's pretty interesting to have a long line of military. You bet. Wow, that that's really cool. Well, I really want to talk about um, your book and, and public speaking and what that means to you. I know I, we talked a little bit about some of those experiences you had um, in, in your book, and people can certainly go to your um, to the Amazon page to, to purchase your book. I want to just state the name of the book one more time because it's called Stage Fight. How to Punch Your Fears of Public Speaking in the Face. And boy, from the Kindle to the to the hard bot to the hardcover to audio, it's all there. Plus you're on YouTube, you're all over the place. So people can certainly find <laughs> yeah. you, Cody. And that's really great. I mean that that it that's important because your message is so important because people oftentimes in their line of work, we know that as Toastmasters, 
um, are required to be able to speak publicly. And some people relish it and other people go, oh, God, ask somebody else. So did you once have a fear of public speaking or have you always been a natural-born public speaker? I uh, I wish I could say I came out of the womb a natural-born public speaker, but that is uh, unfortunately not the case. Uh, I was actually, growing up, I was actually homeschooled with most of my uh, my brothers, and one year we ended up all being put into public school. I was in sixth grade, and I had my first taste of public speaking, which was in a uh, my sixth-grade English class. And we had to give a group, or not a group, but a presentation in front of the entire class, about a product that you made up and you were taking it to market to sell. And at the very end of the presentation, you had to give a jingle because obviously all good products need a jingle to get stuck in the heads of your potential customers. So I uh, was terrified to speak in front of the class, absolutely terrified. Didn't want to get up there. It was gut-wrenching just waiting for my turn to go. And my last name is Smith, so I was near the end of the line. So you waited quite a while before you finally had your chance to get up and get it over with. And I just completely botched it in front of the class. It was very awkward. Uh, I didn't do well with the jingle part. I didn't practice at all because I was just scared to think about it when I before when I was trying to prepare for my presentation. And that experience just kind of haunted me throughout high school, throughout my early years of college because I, I wanted to get better at public speaking. I, I, you know, you're just saying words in front of people. It's no really different than having a conversation with someone. But I just kept reliving that terrible experience in middle school. Yeah. And that just kind of stuck with me uh, pretty much like a broken record. And I, I wanted to get better, but I, I just couldn't. And, you know, I can relate um, in, this, in this regard. You're at the end of the alphabet. My last name was Berger. So I was at the beginning of the alphabet. And <laughs> yeah. I was fearful. I was fearful just knowing that the teacher was going to call on me and I had to stand up and just orally read something or do a book report in front of the class. Uh, you know, right. I think that everybody can somehow relate to those, to those times where you're just vulnerable and you, you, you wonder, you know, can you get through it or not? Now, clearly you've gotten through it and I have as well, but I can certainly, sixth grade was quite a while ago for you and yet you can still recall that so well. How did being afraid to speak affect your life growing up? Did it have an, uh, an effect on your life? Yeah, it, it did, surprisingly. Uh, you would think it would just kind of stick around the public speaking scene, and that would be the only part affected. But it, it started affecting other areas of my life where I started turning other things into uh, almost like a everything seemed like a performance, uh, whether you were – raising your hand just to ask a question in class or you wanted to try out for like a school play, uh, even to the point that making phone calls to talk to people all felt like hmm. the same level of fear I would feel with public speaking. And so any opportunity that would require me to be in that situation, I would just run away from. It was just, it wasn't an option for me. I would just, it, I would just consider it as that was for someone else. Uh, I'm just not meant to be a public speaker. This is just who I am, and this is just how it's going to be. That's really – but you were very comfortable engaged in conversation as long as it wasn't performance-based. Correct, correct. That's, what about your siblings? Did they where, – where are you – you said you had five brothers or six boys all together? Yeah, yeah, there's, so there's six boys all together. I'm the second oldest. 
Uh, we have okay. one adopted brother. Okay. Wow. Well, so they were looking up at you, thinking, "Well, if Cody's afraid." Then did did they all did they pick up any of that fear growing up with you when you were younger like that? You know, it's funny. I actually hid my fear pretty well uh, to the point that when my book actually came out, that was when a lot of them, including my parents, kind of figured out that I had such a huge fear of public speaking. I was just so good at avoiding those situations ahead of time that I hardly ever had to put myself in that situation. So they actually didn't know. <laughs> that's, that is a, that's funny now that you look back at that because aren't you also a dad? Do you have children? I am. I am a dad. I have a, I have a, a, a young 20-month-old. Okay. Well, he's not speaking um, in full sentences yet, but, but you'll be observing, I'm sure, on what it's like for him to speak as well. That, that's pretty that's cool. That's right. Um, in your book, you talk about leaving the country for a short sprint, and from there you found a way to get over your fear. Was this when you were in the military when you went um, out of the country? Tell me a little bit about that. Sure. This was actually a little bit before that. So I was actually going on a trip down to Honduras one summer between college semesters. And we were going to go down there and build a house for a family and just kind of get involved with the community we were going to be with. And so I had spent the entire summer uh, having flashcards, learning Spanish, using uh, phone apps. And I felt like uh, my effort was – going to something positive. Like I felt like I was actually gaining some traction with learning the Spanish language. So I would show up and I'd be able to at least somewhat communicate with the locals. Uh, I spent uh, probably 30 seconds on the plane ride there with the lady who sat beside me who spoke zero English. And I figured that was a good opportunity to whip out my Spanish. And it took me about 30 seconds to confuse the both of us and realize I had just (laughs) wasted the entire summer uh, trying to learn Spanish, it, it was all for naught. And so I was a little more than discouraged uh, landing in Honduras and realizing I hardly knew any Spanish at all. So uh, someone I was with kind of noticed that I was kind of, you know, I guess having a little pity party for myself. And they spoke pretty well Spanish uh, compared to, to, to me. And, and they said, hey, look, from now on, English is not an option. Whenever we're talking to you, it's going to be in Spanish. And the, certainly the locals aren't going to talk to you in English. They har- hardly anyone there speaks English while we were going. Uh, so it, they said, just get involved and get to it and just kind of suck it up and go. And so I said, all right, no more English. It's all going to be Spanish from here on out. And so at the very beginning of the trip, it was brutal. Uh, my Spanish was awful. I just confused people. I could hardly talk to anyone. Uh, but eventually, over a couple of days of doing 24-7 Spanish, and then you start thinking in Spanish, and you're no longer having to translate Spanish to English and then a response in English back to Spanish, it starts becoming more fluid. And over the week, I was impressed by how well I picked it up, just being so uh, involved in using Spanish. And at the end of it, I could go to the market and bargain for melons. I could talk to the locals. I could tell jokes to the kids. And I don't remember exactly when I got back to the States, but I realized I could use that same level of, of, I guess, intensity in public speaking, getting over my fear that I did when I was back in, in Honduras speaking Spanish. And so I couldn't speak to a crowd once a day. I didn't have the resources to do that. 
but I was determined to speak in front of a crowd once a week. And so I did that. Even if I had to make up an audience of just some random people to give a speech in front of, I was determined to get it done every in each week over the semester. And just like the first few days in Honduras, it was brutal. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to go through the rough patch of trying to get used to it. It was, I, there was many a times where I wanted to give up and, but I stuck with it because I was just sick and tired of being afraid to speak. And I was sick and tired of that feeling of dread leading up to having to speak. And over about 90 days, about three months, I remember getting ready to go speak in front of a crowd and realizing I didn't have that gut wrenching feeling of having to go up there and talk to them. I remember finally realizing that I finally exposed myself to enough of that discomfort that it was actually slightly comfortable. And I actually was enjoying being up in front of people. I actually looked forward to it. So it completely transformed my life. You know, everything I was so afraid of was now something I actually gained a lot of joy from. Uh, so it was a, it was a life changer for me. I can, I can imagine. I just, I mean, you're really sort of overcoming two things there is what you're doing. I, I'm just curious, how did it come that you came about to do this? Was this through um, a church or was it through some other, what was, what was the circumstances that had you going to Honduras? Oh, yeah, yeah, it was through church. It was a mission trip through our local church. Uh-huh. And I was and probably so you, the only one who spoke strictly English. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Were there people that were there <clears throat> that you were, you know, living with or staying with that, that were fluent both in English and Spanish? Yes, but they uh, refused to speak English to me. <laughs> My whole team. Was, but how, oh, <laughs> <were> like, man. <laughs> I can't imagine that. So how did you, how did you even correct yourself or say, you know, um, did I say that correctly? Did I use the right pronoun? Or did, I mean, how did you, did they, I mean, I'm just trying to actually imagine just learning a language, let alone speaking publicly with that language. That must have been, that must have been really an experience. Yeah, oh, it was it was tough. And and when I say strictly, you know, they would they would cut me some slack every now and then when I was completely butchering the language, you know, and kind of <laughs> help explain, how, you know, how to pronounce things, how to do the sentence structure to describe something, you know, different things like that. So it wasn't completely. You know, 100% they were not going to talk to me in English, but it was pretty darn close. Wow. So today I would presume you are still very bilingual. I, You know, when you don't use it, you lose it. And so I, really? I could pick it up pretty well, but I would have to put a little bit more effort into it to get back to where I was. Uh, but certainly, mm-hmm. you know, after being that involved, speaking the language, it, you don't lose everything. Sure. How long were you there? I was there for, uh, I think we were there for seven to nine days, so not too terribly long. Oh, my goodness. You were just there for a week, just a little over a week. This wasn't like you were there for yes. two, three, four months. Oh, no, my no, gosh. No, no, that was sprint. It was a very short sprint. Wow. Yeah. No kidding. That's, well, then, you know, what, what, what comes to my mind listening to your story about this is your determination and grit. Because uh, you weren't even in the military yet, you, but you obviously had the character of someone that's come from a military background. And while this fear of public speaking was haunting you from a younger grade, you sure stepped up to the plate, didn't you? When it really mattered, you really did challenge yourself. 
I think that's just phenomenal. Oh. That's probably it's it's fabulous, Cody. Really, I mean, I just think that that's a great background to how you have become who you are today. It's fabulous. Well, I greatly appreciate that. <laughs> really, so you've written a book. And I'd like to know yeah. what inspired you to write your first book, because I have a sense this will not be your last book. So what, was, what, what inspired you to write your book? I, I'd like to know about your writing habits and just that inspiration behind being an author. Sure, absolutely. So let's fast forward a little bit. So during college, I had gotten over my fear. And after doing that, I was actually looking for more opportunities to speak uh, decided that an entrepreneurship uh, route was actually really fun because you got to compete with other students and you had to actively be judged by judges to judge how you presented, you know, how you present your business plan and how comfortable you were on stage talking about whatever business you had in mind. And so doing all that, I kind of felt I was free and uh, my life kind of went on from there. After that, mm-hmm. I uh, joined the Air Force moved out to Los Angeles, and as you can imagine, as an Air Force officer, you end up doing a lot of briefings to your leadership, a lot of public speaking, and I was noticing a lot of my colleagues who were doing phenomenal work in the office, doing great work day in and day out, but then they would have their one chance to get up in front of the boss either every 30 days or on a quarterly basis, and they would just botch it. And that was their opportunity to represent all the good work they were doing. And they just weren't representing themselves well. And then you have this Joe Schmo who would come in and they do okay work in the office, but they're so comfortable being up in front of people and speaking that they look like rock stars. And the Hmm. boss, it's, it's his decision, you know, who gets, you know, hot jobs, who gets the awards, who gets the accolades. And those accolades and awards and those jobs and, you know, the mentorship and all that really feeds into how that affects your career. And so seeing that over and over, uh, over my first year at LA Air Force Base, I realized I, I knew what I could do to help these people out. And eventually when you start explaining to, these, to my colleagues, like, this is what you need to do, some of them would listen. Some wouldn't, uh, but there was only so much people that I could help by myself. And that's when it started kind of evolving into, I need to write a book. I need to get this on paper. I need to get this out to people that I'll never, ever meet, never be able to have contact with, but who could benefit from the things that I've learned getting over my own fear of public speaking. And so that's kind of what went into, I'm going to write a book, and I'm going to get it out to the world, and I'm going to spread this message as far as it'll go to benefit whoever really needs to hear the message. When did you write it? When did, when did, it, when did it come um, to the bookstores? Sure. Uh, so I started writing my first attempt to write a book at the beginning of 2017. And oh I didn't goodness. know what I was doing. I figured I would just open up a Word doc and I'll just start from the beginning and I'll type my way to the end and call it done. And I got about 10 pages in, and I was, it was miserable. It was absolutely miserable, and I, I gave up on it uh, until August of that same year, of uh, 2017, and found a group online. Uh, it's a self-publishing school, and they just walked you through an easy process to write the book that made it make sense and made it really easy to get words on paper. 
Uh, and the, the process is, is really simple. It's nothing uh, magical. It's no trade secret. It's nothing like that. What you end up doing is you take whatever you want to write about. So for me, that was public speaking. And you just mind map about it. So I imagine all of us remember mind mapping from like uh, younger in our school age or K through 12 where we do a mind map as a brainstorming activity. And so you just mind map about your topic, and it makes it really messy. You just do it on a really massive piece of paper. And then after you do that, you, get, you just brain dump all your knowledge about my topic, public speaking, on this show, about the fear of public speaking and the reaction to fear of public speaking and what you could do and preparing for a speech. So all that came out on paper. And then I transitioned that over to an outline. So all my main branches off my main topic, those became the sections of my book. And then everything that came off one of those branches became the chapters under those sections. So now I wasn't starting from a blank page. I was starting from a, a, a well-put-out outline that I could start with. And then I could just take that and copy and paste it into a, a Google Doc using Chrome. And Google Chrome has an extension that allows you to convert words into text. So then I could just, okay, what am I going to talk about? Okay, I'll go to the first section of my book. Okay, what am I going to talk about in that section? Okay, I'll just go to the first chapter, and it's already written out, so I'm going to talk about addressing the fear of public speaking. And I could just start talking into a microphone on my laptop, and it starts spitting out text. So then I'm just talking through my book, talking through those different chapters, and it just made it really easy to get my thoughts out on a paper really, really quickly. So I started in August. I was – go ahead. You got a question? No, no, no. I, 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 it's so, it's so hard for me not to interrupt. So I'm gonna let you finish your thought because then I really do have some questions about that. So you started in August. Sure. And then uh, we were, I was done writing in November. We went through editing and formatting in December, and we launched and published the book in January of this year. Man. So if anybody is out there listening, and I have listeners. That, that listen all over the world, frankly, because it's Internet, so you can listen anywhere. And people have all kinds of reasons why they listen to podcasts. But if someone is out there contemplating writing a book, did you ever simplify this? And I just wanted to clarify in my own mind, <clears throat> pardon me, I'm very familiar with the term brainstorming. I spend a lot of time on social media. I spend a lot of time on Google Images. And I think you, you just drew a picture for me. When you mentioned mind mapping, is that what I would see on Google Images where they would take, like, I'm going to be vacationing very soon. And you see the word vacation, but underneath that word vacation in many different forms are all these other additional words that apply to that word vacation. Is that what a mind map is? Or if it's not, could you tell me what a mind map means? Pretty sure. Yeah, absolutely. So you're, you're on the right track. Uh, you end up, you know, say your main topic was vacationing. And then everything that comes to your mind about vacationing, whether it's like beach destinations or mountains or getting out of the house or family vacations to a picnic or, or staycations, you just start drawing lines from your main topic to a subtopic that comes to your mind related to vacation. So in our case, we get like public speaking. I would draw a circle around public speaking draw a line coming from that circle, and then write the word fear, fear of public speaking, and then draw a circle around that. And then anything that came to my mind about the fear of public speaking, I would just do that again. I'd branch off again. 
And all of a sudden you have this big web of ideas and thoughts of everything that comes into your mind. And doing this, you'd be surprised how much is in your brain about any given topic. Uh, before, I didn't think I had enough to write a book. Afterwards, I probably had enough to write two or three books worth on public speaking alone. You know, you've, you've, you've drawn a really accurate picture of what I consider webbing, where I, I do that with my own show. When I, when I came up with my show's sort of tagline, well, actually more than three years ago because I started blogging prior to the radio, those three C's about conversations, connections, and community, that all meant something to me instantly. And sometimes I will do my own level of brainstorming, whatever that might be. And, and I, I, sometimes I tell people when I look at the word connections, I think of myself as the cog in the wheel. I remember writing a blog about that. And just as you said, I, I, the technique, because I'm a visual person, and perhaps you are also visual, when you start seeing that big piece of paper and you see those, those, those circles become other circles, become other circles, it's like the planet with the moons all around it, um, it really, I can see where it really um, draws a mental picture. And then to be able to talk it into, in, in, through Chrome and have it, maybe it, maybe it doesn't spell words right or maybe it misses something about what you're saying, but if I had to stop and edit, I had a guest on my show a couple of years ago that just said, don't edit when you write, because if you start editing what you're writing, you're never going to get your thoughts out there. You're going to be an editor, and what you need to do is write. So um, <laughs> for me, I can, you've taken it to a better step for somebody with my personality, because I think I have a book in there too. And to be able to talk it and edit it, I mean, that's brilliant. And for you to be able to do it at warp speed, congratulations to you. I think that's just fabulous. And anybody that's listening, uh, they can certainly benefit by the tips that you've just provided. Let's talk a little bit about um, your book. In the, in, the, in the beginning of your book, in your, in your intro, you say that you're not a professional speaker. I don't know that I agree with you, but um, is that starting <laughs> to change? I'm just saying, I've heard you speak at a contest. Those of us that are Toastmasters know that that can be challenging because you are competing against other speakers at the same time, and you are being evaluated. And it's not punitive, but but Toastmasters is an international club, and depending upon how people do in these contests moves you up that ladder to, to the point where you could be competing at a national and even international level, depending upon your success. So I, I listen to you speak and I think you're definitely professional, but that's just my personal opinion. It, it, are you starting to see yourself a little bit differently now as a professional speaker? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know at the beginning, especially when I wrote the book, I was definitely not a professional, and I wanted to put that out there because, you know, a lot of the public speaking books I had read prior, you know, those that I'm currently competing with now on Amazon, uh, a lot of them had years and years of experience either writing speeches for the presidents or as a public speaker or as high-level executives inside of companies, and I wanted to come across as the person who – 
is just a few steps ahead of you. If you're afraid of public speaking, you know, I haven't been many years that I've gotten over my fear. I wanted to show mm-hmm. them I'm right there with you. I was just in your shoes. So I was really laying out, you know, where I stood as, as a speaker and kind of where I was coming from. So you kind of knew full and well uh, where my experience was coming from. Now that I've written the book and I've gone through and people now know that I'm an author and I, I start speaking now, that is certainly starting to change, you know, even to the point that my career is actually shifting uh, away from being in, in a military and versus actually going out on my own and being a professional speaker and talking about, you know, the changes in your life that come when you get over your fear of public speaking and what an important skill that is today. You bet. I, I mean, all kinds of things are running through my mind, like being a keynote speaker. What kinds of presentations are you being asked to deliver now? What, what, where, where do you see yourself speaking so I, I want to start local. I actually want to go to a lot of your Rotary clubs, a lot of your young professionals, and kind of start there and really build a name for myself. And then uh, I have a coach right now who is helping me kind of transition and get into bigger and bigger stages to where you are doing breakout groups uh, at conventions and then moving your way up to being a keynote speaker. So my career is definitely very much in its infancy uh, but I'm learning a lot and kind of learning who I need to talk to and who can really benefit from my message and what my audience really wants to hear and see. So that that's kind of the things that's going on now. And this summer, uh, I'm working really hard to market myself as well as meet people to land a lot of these stages. So it's I'm in a huge transition right now uh, as we start that. You couldn't be speaking to a better person. Remember conversations that's what we're doing connections that's what i have (laughs) community i've got that too so i have a lot of people that i would want to introduce you to but you know what comes to me immediately and maybe you've thought about this as well but your fear started in the sixth grade and i've had a lot of people say to me as a toastmaster how long have you been a toastmaster by the way I've been a Toastmaster since the beginning of 2016. Okay. Yes, I I believe it's correct. I've been, okay, so I've been a Toastmaster a little bit longer, although I must say once I started doing the radio show, sometimes it's a challenge for me to make my meetings. But I've been a Toastmaster since 15. And what people will say to me is, why don't they have Toastmasters in schools? Why aren't the youth learning to stand up and speak and perhaps over time overcome, overcome the us, the ums, the so's, and the things that you and I know about so clearly because we are monitored on that language when we do it. We know when we have said and so, uh, and um. We know it because, especially speaking to another Toastmaster, you really know it. We know we're supposed to just breathe and not fill the space with an us. Uh. To me, I think being in a school maybe in a leadership class at a high school, maybe even a leadership class at a middle school would be an astounding place for you to influence the young speakers. And absolutely, when you start talking about Rotaries and Lions Club and Kiwanis and all of these different clubs where they're all professionals, they all come together, they all have some something that they share, they're doing something philanthropic, but generally they're, they have a leadership position of sorts 
within their own company. I worked for the Y for many years, and we have public speaking at the Y. Schools have public speaking. I would like to uh, be. Uh, did you hear the uh? I would like to be able to connect you <laughs> to some to some of those people that I know that do public speaking. I. Don't go to uh, Toastmasters by the Sea as frequently as I mentioned as I did in the beginning, but I know the um, opportunity to speak extemporaneously is very much what's part of Toastmasters, as well as prepared speeches with a good opening, a good middle, a good conclusion. In fact, good, frankly, is a B. We would rather have an A, which would be an excellent opening middle and closing and by going to some of these contests and by visiting other Toastmasters club and I would certainly welcome you to to join our club if the time worked out for you as well we learn by watching other people's style we learn by by facial inspection we learn by vocal variety we learn by hand gestures for people that don't know about Toastmasters I just want to add one more thing here because I know this show isn't specifically about Toastmasters but one of the things that we learn is a level of confidence and a level of being evaluated for how we can improve. And I recommend Toastmasters to anybody, whether you're going to get a, in front of a board of directors or you're just sitting next to somebody on an airplane for 13 hours and you don't know how to start a conversation. It's just a wonderful way to improve the way we communicate. And communication to me is key in life. I don't. I, I just don't know where I would be without communicating on a regular basis. If I didn't, I actually get a little sad. So I understand what you say, and I can see where you're going to be that keynote speaker in front of a of a platform of people because people want to know how did you do it, Cody? I was in your shoes, and I don't think I can do it. Well, guess what? You've written a book to help people overcome that. When you um, went through this process and kind of got fear out of the way, what kind of positive changes did you see in your life and your career? How did you see that manifest itself? Sure. Early on, especially like back in college, I kind of briefly talked about, you know, joining an entrepreneur club and started competing in entrepreneurship competitions with other students. That was the biggest change uh, from the beginning, because I was able to start a company in college with a, another double E student. Uh, his name is Daniel. We're, we sold a business together, and we made a card game called Beep Boop. And we took this card game and our business plan to competitions at Mississippi State and Tampa, Florida, and competed with other students. And so, actively seeking these public speaking opportunities, and we were there to win money and help our business and push it along. And uh, very early on, we realized we were not going to win against these students who had these humanitarian businesses or these apps or this technology that was really going to benefit a lot of people because we had a card game that was all based on like entertainment, just like playing Uno with your family. And so Mm -hmm. we had to transition from being a business-oriented presentation, which was usually typically very boring and talking about numbers and profits and revenues, and transition to an entertainment company and and using that as an entertainment presentation. And so we wouldn't win uh, first, second, or third cash cash place uh, prizes, but there was always a people's choice, which usually was $500 to $1,000. 
So we hit that part hard, really weighing on entertaining the crowd and the judges to win that cash prizes. And so that's what we did. We focused strictly on being entertaining. And so you have to be very comfortable on stage to make someone laugh. Because if you're feeling awkward, if you're feeling embarrassed, if you mess up and, you know, you kind of stumble through it, that kind of bleeds out into how your audience feels. But if you're very comfortable on stage, that also starts to bleed out into how you're comfortable, uh, your audience feels. So they start feeling comfortable. They can open up. They can start laughing. You can entertain them, and you can really build that connection with them. So that was one of the biggest changes going on, and that allowed us to build up a quite a bit of seed money to get our business off the ground. We were able to take our card game beep boop to a platform called Kickstarter. And I don't know if you've ever heard of Kickstarter, but it's uh, an online platform uh-huh. where people, oh, fantastic, uh, allowed us to raise uh, almost $10,000 to get our game manufactured in China and then sent over to the U.S. And we started distributing it out to the people who funded us on Kickstarter. And we're now in two, maybe three stores right now uh, with our card game. So had I not got over I Fear of Public Speaking, <laughs> That would have never happened. Would have never happened. Would have ran away yeah. from that opportunity the split second I knew I had to compete in front of other people. And so, tell me the name of your card game career. again. It's called. I'm sorry to interrupt you. How do you spell okay, that? Beep boop. It B E E P B O O O P. It's uh, it's kind of like if you were to imagine what a robot would would say, they would say like beep boop. And so that's what we called our, na- our game because in the game you're building a robot to battle other players. So uh, that's where um, the name came from. That's pretty cool. I, you, when you, well, I'd like you to take us a little bit through the outline of your book because I know that sure. there's some chapters that are pretty significant, and I, I would like to spend a little time on that. So one of them is new versus old self and understanding the victim shield. What did you mean by the victim shield? Oh, okay, that's it. That was probably one of the funner chapters to write. So (laughs) in my mind, we all have like an old self or a coward self and our new self and kind of our courageous self. So we all have this mentality uh, that I believe it kind of gets split into those two. It depends on who's talking to you at that time. For a lot of us who are afraid to speak, it's usually our old coward self. It's that coward self saying, you're going to mess up on stage. You're not going to do well. They're going to boo you, you're going to mess up, and you're going to look like a fool. And then you have the book, especially at the beginning, where it focuses a lot on the mental side, you know, our thoughts about public speaking or fear of public speaking. I want to transition to you into your new courageous self. The new courageous self understands that we've been putting up a shield, uh, a metaphorical shield, trying to – we think that we're protecting ourselves by running away from opportunities to speak, but really we're just harming ourselves. We're really just running away from opportunities and connections to to grow. And that feeling of self-protection is really just giving you another – it's just another reason why you didn't have to try, just another reason why it's you telling yourself it's okay to give up and not get over your fear. And so the beginning of the book really walks you through that mental side, dealing with fear, because if you don't get over the mental side first, it doesn't matter what, what action plan I have for you in the latter half of the book. We have to start there, and we have to start with that old, old coward self and kind of realize when that coward self is speaking, you know, the thoughts in our head. So we can realize, okay, it's just a coward in me speaking. Uh, I can move on from this. I know what I need to do. 
terrific. Well, you also mentioned something about seeing setbacks as a learning opportunity. There, there have to be some setbacks along the way, right? Always, always. There's always setbacks, especially if you're starting anything new, uh, whether that's public speaking or getting over the fear of public speaking, which is typically a new experience for a lot of us uh, who are afraid and had to learn to get over it. Uh, learning from your setbacks you know, I, I kind of give the analogy, and I, I don't have this in the book, but I use it to explain to people that I, I wish public speaking was like learning to knit. Uh, knitting, I can <laughs> learn on my couch, behind closed doors. I can make mistakes all I want. I never have to show anybody. No one ever has to see my mistakes, and I just can keep working at it and keep working at it and keep working at it by myself. And when I'm actually good at it and I have something to show for it, say a sweater, then I could take it out and show people and have them, have them awe at my, my hard work. And they never had to see all the mistakes I went through. Public speaking, unfortunately, if you want to get better at it, you have to do it in front of people from the very beginning. Uh, <laughs> so you have, to, you have to approach it head on. All those mistakes, they're going to be in front of people. All those setbacks, they're going to be in front of, in front of other people. So you can either see them as a setback, as a failure, or you can see a setback as just a learning experience, which, it, it's, which is what it truly is. All failures or mistakes are just something we can uh, ultimately learn from, but it depends on how you see it. So that's right. another side of the mental side where we try and transition you from seeing a failure or mistake on stage as something that you should avoid at all costs versus something that you could definitely just learn from and get better at it over time, just like, the, just like it is with practicing anything else. Right. Do you, do you find that you have to change your focus at times? Is that another element of your book? Yes. Yeah, so a lot of us tend to focus – on the fear and the feelings uh, that, that accompanies or like we focus on our past experiences with public speaking. So I used to focus strictly on that experience in middle school where I screwed up in front of the class and just kept living that over and over again like a, like a broken record. That's how I would describe it. And so right. you almost need to focus. You have to change your focus from the past after we deal with the past, which is just asking your past self, what did I learn from that experience? Because we've probably never taken the time to look back and, and actually see what we learned from going through that failure. So for me, I learned that I need to practice. I, I cannot go up in front of an audience and wing it. That's just, not, that's just not who I am. And I didn't practice at all going up in front of that middle school class. I also should have prepared a little bit more because I remember doing all the work and preparing for that speech the night of. Uh, which is just a recipe for disaster. So those two lessons <laughs> that I had never taken the time to learn to help me get over my fear of public speaking. So once you can start looking at the past differently, you can start focusing on what's ahead. You can start focusing on everything you, you, you are to gain from getting over your fear of public speaking, and you can focus on what's important, not the fears, not the mistakes, not the failures. You can focus on what's ahead, and you can start living – uh, as your courageous self, not your coward self. I was going to – that is the word that came to my mind as you were speaking, is that courage. Do you have a chapter called Why? I have a chapter, and let me, let me backtrack into my brain bank here real quick. <laughs> uh, I think I have a chapter – this is so sad because I wrote the book uh, – called Knowing Your Why. And oh, okay. Kind of knowing Maybe your why okay. – uh, 
I, I think that is. It's so sad. That I can't remember all the chapters in my book. Well, then you know what? Uh, That's okay because people can read the book and they can go back and they can look at it. So I'm okay with that because I would like to take this. I'd like you to um, – um, how long does it take? Let, let's talk about your book a little bit more because it's been out since the first sure. of the year. We're, we're at the end of, of May now. Um, how long do you think it takes people to start seeing some results if they're going to follow the process in your book? Yeah, so if from, from the people, my clients that I've coached, from just my own experience and helping other people on the side, it takes about 90 days. And so the process kind of follows you. No, it's not. Comparing to what you're looking mm-hmm. at in the past, I spent years afraid to speak. And so to go through three hard months to get over it is well worth it. It's so worth it to come out on the other side of those 90 days. And the book walks you through what it takes to do that. And so in the book, I encourage everyone to speak once a week. Find an audience. And so I kind of walk you through where to find those audiences. So you can certainly find that in the book. But the main purpose is speaking once a week, every week. And if you want to supercharge that, what you'll end up doing is speaking once a week. That's a prepared speech, by the way. So something you actually have to write out ahead of time, practice it, and then give it in front of an audience. If you want to supercharge that, you'll do an unprepared speech, kind of like what we do in Toastmasters, a table topic where you can't prepare uh, for that mm-hmm. two-minute speech. And so when you combine those two together, giving a prepared speech once a week and doing your table topics or your your unprepared speech, and I also encourage you when you're doing your prepared speech that you give it in front of an audience of at least one person to practice before you ever do it for real. And so you're speaking three times a week. A professional speaker speaks aggressively once per week. So you're doing three times what a professional speaker typically does throughout their year. You cannot help but get better at public speaking and get over your fear of public speaking by speaking three times a week. And the book wants no you to how to do that and not add a ton of stuff to your schedule because we're all so, so busy. We're all so, so busy. So the book really helps you to kind of nail in how to do that and not to add just more stress and more things into your life. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about the first time I did my first icebreaker in Toastmaster. I didn't. I didn't. I did. I had a mentor. I shouldn't say that. She did come over to my house, and I presented my icebreaker um, in front of her, and she gave me some critiquing. But I think before I even invited her over, I think I did my first icebreaker in front of a mirror. I watched myself, and I watched my. my I just watched myself, which was was kind of an interesting um, technique for me to use. And and see, I'm not afraid to speak publicly. I don't think. I don't know. I haven't been on a stage that large, but uh, I want to be able to speak well, and that's the other part of, of public speaking. I was curious, when you were writing your book, did you come across any struggles along the way to get it finished? Because it sure sounds like you did that in a rapid fashion. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, my <laughs> own handful and personal flavor of struggles. Uh, and it's something I actually bring up in the book. You know, I, I talk about even having struggles and fears and doubts writing the book. For one, you start going into like this imposter syndrome, you know, where you're like, who am I to write a book about public speaking? <laughs> I'm, I'm 25. Who is going to listen to me? You know, what do I know? And uh, so, you know, 
kind of dealing with that mental side. It was just like going through trying to get over my fear of public speaking. It was like dealing with it all over again. Uh, but luckily, getting over the fear of public speaking was much, much worse. So I'd already had experience with that. But yeah, definitely dealing with just mental setbacks of, am I ever going to really get this done? You know, what am I doing this for? If no one's going to read my book, you know, it, it's all for naught. And you really have to notice and realize when you're talking like that, because that, again, was my old coward self talking. And when you realize that, you can start, you can kind of switch gears and go toward a more positive and more uh, grateful mindset. Like, look, man, you have something to offer. Uh, you have whatever your words are, they have some level of worth. And even if it just helps one person, it's completely mm-hmm. worth it. Like I'm going to finish this no matter what. So definitely a lot of struggles going through the writing process. And sometimes you'll be writing and you know everything that you're putting on paper at that moment is hot garbage. Like it is no good. Like it is not going <laughs> in the book. But it is so important to show up anyway and put the work in because you never know what that might lead to. You know, that might never ever make it in the work. You know, you might have to toss those 10 pages out, but what comes after those 10 pages might be something that's actually really well written and really well put together. That's really going to benefit your reader. God, your family must be so proud of you. Uh, when, when you um, finish publishing your book, have you noticed a, a, a big change in your life? Has, has your life been, positively been affected by something since 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 you've become this author and speaker? Yes. The when you write a book, uh people's opinion of you changes. It's it's very interesting. When you tell someone like, oh I, I you know I'm I'm an author, I, I authored a book, it's published, you know, their their mindset of you completely changes. Uh and it gives you a sense of authority having a book to stand on. And just having that alone has really changed some of the opportunities I've been able to uh, get a hold of, whether that's speaking, whether that's getting on podcasts, whether that's being on this show, Marsha, mm-hmm. you know, giving me a different level of confidence as well. The book has also allowed me to gain a few coaching clients, which was not an opportunity that I had prior to this. So a lot of positive things have come out of writing the book. I bet when you wrote this book, it didn't occur to you, or maybe it did. Maybe it was one of those circles that you had out there that you webbed out from the center of fear was um, coaching. You, I don't know that you, you know, I think what's really interesting is that electrical engineers, by virtue of that training, typically, I'll just speak about my husband specifically, he he could certainly communicate, but he was more, quiet he did more thinking than verbalizing i was the mouthpiece in the home and you know his mindset was very very logical my sense is that your mindset is probably also very very logical is that right it is it is even to the point that it irritates my wife sometimes <laughs> well but you know what you know what women say about their engineering husbands you're solid we can count on you that you That's have right. a handle on things. And and so I would tell your wife, she's got a winner with you. I have a I have a question that I like to ask my guests, particularly depending upon what the subject matter is. And I think in your case this is a great question to ask you. And that is knowing what you know about yourself today, what advice would you have given your younger self? 
the advice I would give to my younger self is yes, people do not care as much as you think they do. We spend so much time uh, worrying what other people think about us when they're actually more worried about what other people think about them than anything else. Right. So a lot of times we're afraid to speak up in front of people because we almost have this vision that people are there paying 100% focus on all the mistakes we make and they're going to remember it forever and that's going to be permanently on our record when the opposite is very true. The, the opposite is that most people can't wait to get out and figure out what they're going to eat for lunch or they're on their cell phone or they're thinking about their to-do <laughs> list going on that day. And we don't realize just how much people don't remember our mistakes. That, that, I imagine there's not a single person in that middle school class that remembers my blunders that day. Not a single one. Sure. And to think that mm-hmm. how much it affected me all those years. And no one remembers. No one remembers. Uh, and so it's almost like you can get out in front of people and make a ton of mistakes. And as if you had some men in black uh, hypno technology, there you just wipe everyone's memory right after you're done and mm-hmm. just kind of go about your day. Because it's almost exactly how it is. I remember when I first started asking people for feedback when I was getting over my fear of public speaking afterwards. And they would just say, oh, yeah, you did good, man. And, you know, that was it. That was all the feedback I would ever get. It was never anything critical. It was nothing ever precise. And I just realized that if I didn't ask somebody ahead of time to pay close attention to my mistakes or things I could do better, they really weren't paying that much attention. Uh, So I would would tell my younger self, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I would tell my younger self, they don't care as much as you think you do. So don't be afraid of, to either make mistakes in front of people or try something different or you name it. Uh, and it will change your life once you start thinking that way and realizing that um, everyone's kind of focused on their own thing, not just you. It's great advice. Um I, I mentioned I, I, you are all over the place. You have a YouTube uh, account, <laughs> correct? You're on. Why don't you mention all the places I, people can find you? So where where are the different locations uh, if people were to type in Cody Smith? Where would they find you? Sure, sure. So yeah, YouTube's definitely one that I've been having a blast with. Just you know, I you know another platform to help people get over their fear of public speaking. And uh, so you can find that. Our, our channel is called uh, Stage Fight Club, and that's pretty much the name of all of our channels on social media, including our website. So we're Stage Fight Club all across the board, uh, whether it's Instagram right. or Twitter or our personal website. So that's probably the easiest way to find us. Terrific. Well, so I have to tell you, in preparation of today's show, I watched one of your YouTube this morning, and it was talking about taking a cold shower. And I found it to be absolutely hilarious and actually insightful. <laughs> and, I, you know, I like to prepare with my guests just prior to going on because we're live. You know, this is like Toastmasters. We're live. We don't get a takeover here. I'm not going to edit this out. It goes, goes live and it stays live. So I asked you before we went on today, so did you take a cold shower or what did you say? I said Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. Oh man, it is, it just, is my go-to tell, to kind of people. get over the nerves. Yes. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I, I well, I, I hope that you haven't been nervous because certainly this has felt very, very comfortable. And I, 
you know, maybe the next time you come back after you've written your next book, is that what, what's up next for you? Are you are you thinking about writing another book? So I, I'm just about to send the next book to my editor, so that should be published this summer. So we're I'm super excited about that. Perfect. You know what that means? Here's what that means: that this fall, because you've already done this once with, you may not need to take a cold shower prior to coming on the Born to Talk radio show because that fear of like, oh, my God, what's she going to ask me? Maybe it won't be so bad. And as, as you and I both know, we prepared for this. We, we had an understanding. Sometimes we, we venture off a little bit because, frankly, you have no idea what anecdotal things I'm going to say because I don't know what you're going to say. So it works out beautifully right. for both of us. And I just think that spending an hour with you on this day has been so terrific. I feel like I have a new friend. I feel like I would like to see you again. I would like to maybe come to – do you allow visitors – to come to your Toastmasters meetings? If you can get on an Air Force base, which you might, because you okay. might still have a dependent uh, military ID, possibly, then you could get on. If not, I can sponsor you on, and we could have you in one of our club meetings, which would be awesome. Terrific. Well, I think that, you know, we've certainly given a shout-out to Toastmasters, which was sort of, a, I guess, an underlying arc, because that's what connected us and that's part of those three C's I talk about and as speakers that is part of a community that you and I both share and I just want to thank you Cody so much for joining me for today for I mean you know the happenstance of me being at that contest when Nell from our from our club uh, participated and Nell Ambrose and her husband Steve they were on my show and I think that uh, through these connections, and we will talk about this off the air, the people that I know that are involved in a lot of organizations would benefit by your experience. And I just want to thank you so, so very much for joining me today. Well, I appreciate that, Marsha. I have had a blast on the show. I can't <laughs> wait to broadcast this out to my network so they can all uh, tag along. Uh, Thank you again for having me, and I'm so happy we met at that Toastmasters competition because otherwise this probably would have never happened. Exactly, random acts of stuff. So until next time, everybody, I want to thank you for joining me. Um, you might have heard me say that I'm taking a vacation, but I do have a show that will be up and broadcast next week because I will be on a cruise to Alaska. Oh, my gosh, I can hardly wait. So thanks, everybody, for joining me. And, Cody, I'll look forward to being in touch with you really soon, dude. Thanks so much. For, now, why did I say dude? I could have, I could have skipped that part. <laughs> thanks. I love it. But you know what? That, I, didn't, I didn't write that down. So thanks, everybody. And here's a little bit of outgoing music as we end the show today. Bye for now. Advancements in technology, shifting markets, and the gig economy are changing the nature of work. With this in mind, Harvard Business School Executive Education is launching a new program on managing the future of work. 
Based on the latest research into the forces reshaping workforce demographics, this program is designed to help employers remain competitive by thinking strategically about today's evolving business landscape. Learn more by clicking the banner or visiting hbs.me future. That's hbs.me future.